morning. And what up, you guys? I'm really excited about this morning. We are. We just wrapped up our first week of Awaken. Uh, if you don't know what Awaken is, uh, these handouts were on every other chair, I believe. If you didn't see this, uh, just you can come grab one after church, or you can go to ethoschurch.org/awaken. Uh, but I hope your first week of fasting. Uh, and praying with us as a church went well, whatever it was you were fasting from. Um, if you're like a lot of people and day one you broke your fast, it is well with your soul. It's all good. Um, just pick it up, keep going. We started a series last week called My House, Your Home. If you weren't here last week, um, you missed how giddy and excited I was about this series. I've been waiting for like two years to do this thing. I feel like God gave me this idea a long time ago and just kind of waiting for the time to be right. And uh, hopefully the time's right because we're doing it now. And um, kind of the premise of it is, man, what if your home can be the space where you most easily and effortlessly thrive in your relationship with the living God? What if when I asked you to picture where you come the most alive in the spirit of the Lord, you didn't picture a church conference, a worship event, or Sunday mornings at Ruby, you pictured your bedroom, or your closet, or your living room with your friends, or with your family, and we just kind of talked about how I don't believe that's a far-fetched reality at all, or a far-fetched dream at all. I think it's actually a pretty simple reality if we'll just dedicate our home to the Lord, if we'll create an environment that's conducive to our spiritual growth, to peace, to the presence of God. So if you missed that, we've got a podcast on Spotify, on Apple, Ethos Church, Hillsborough Village. Go check that out. Um, I'm really excited to, to keep going in that series. I hope, that, uh, I hope you guys took a step this week. I was going to ask you to raise your hands, but that'd be weird for people raising their hand and people not raising their hand. Um, before we get into this week's teaching, I've got three prefaces. I don't know how this teaching's gonna go. I, it's, it's a little ADD. So are you guys down to like see the TikTok version of a sermon? Uh, that's what I feel like I got here. There's no way I cover all the ground that I'm trying to cover today. So just bear with me, pick up on the one or two things that make sense, okay? Um, are y'all here? We ready? It's so sunny and beautiful, but I feel this like quietness, and, uh, which is fine, you know, whatever, rest. All right, preface number one. I, I want to just make a note real quick about fasting. Is it already up there? Okay, well, you know what it is, don't you? Uh, fasting is rest. And I have never believed that until this year. Just coincidentally, I was on a prayer call, at the, the 6.30 a.m. prayer call that's every morning, Eat Those Church slash Awaken, uh, if you want to join us on that. And someone prayed, hey, God, will you help this season of fasting be a season of rest? Because I feel like fasting can be stressful. And when he prayed that, I was like, yeah, me too. Like when I think of fasting, I don't go, oh, thank goodness, finally a season of rest where I starve myself or get off Instagram and just want to be on it the whole time, you know? And I, I've kind of went through something personally that's helped me understand that fasting really can be restful. And not just spiritually, but, but physically and mentally. I've been, uh, I've been having some like health stuff for the last like 10 years, and long story short, arthritis, like just all over my body, and it's so annoying, and it really hurts sometimes, and it's been a source of, of real discouragement. And for some reason, I mean, probably because of Awaken, but coincidentally, I just started thinking about fasting because I had heard that fasting can have real healing in it. Uh, just to your physical body for purely health reasons. And so I went on my, you guys already know I love YouTube, so you know I spent like a legitimate 20 hours on YouTube in like seven days. Like I was getting into it. And man, I couldn't believe what I was hearing about fasting. And listen, I'm not a nutritionist, and I don't know you, so I ain't telling you to stop eating for five days, but let me tell my story, okay? Uh, be smart, be wise, use Google. <laughs> uh, anyway... <laughs> Don't use Google for like symptoms though, you know, like my head hurts. What could it be? A tumor? Like what? Uh, anyway, 
But I'm, I'm on my YouTube binge, and it, it's, it's talking about all these different doctors, and, and, and the comment sections are lit with testimonies like, man, when you fast for at least 48 hours, just water and sea salt. You already know I got my pink Himalayan in this bottle. I don't even work out right now. This is just looking like I do. Uh, but but it, you know, get, get your water, get your electrolytes in through that sodium. But if you'll do it for like 48 hours, this thing called autophagy starts. Uh, where your body starts recycling old and, and damaged cells and even starts eating away at fungus and bacteria, basically going, hey, man, we got to survive. Better start eating all the stuff that's hurting us. And after 72 hours, that autophagy goes up really high. And the, the area that they've seen the most promising results of fasting is specifically in arthritis. So imagine me being riddled with arthritis for 10 years, and I'm on my laptop like, you got to be, you swear, don't be lying to me, you two, please, dear goodness. And I'm getting motivated, right? And so just spontaneously, I'm like, I'm done eating forever, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I legitimately, I go on this three-day full fast. Now, keep in mind, I've never done this for spiritual purposes. The longest I think I'd ever done was 24 hours, and it was miserable. And I'm like, what's the point? And, uh, but now that I got a baby coming, and I don't want my hands to have arthritis, I'm like, I ain't eating nothing for at least three days. And I kid you not, again, I'm not telling anyone else to do this without being smart, whatever, but I haven't had arthritis for 10 straight days. After having it for 30 straight days, I, I, in January, thank you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I can't hear you, you know. But, uh, but man, like, because what's motivating me is I want to hold my baby without my hands being inflamed the next day. And at the trajectory I was at, that wasn't going to be possible. And so to figure out that because of the 72-hour fast, and then let me be very clear, I eat cleaner than everyone in this room. Outside of the fast, I've been like eating straight meat and veggies only. Um, but man, to figure out like, oh my goodness, when you fast, at least my personal experience, there is healing and restoration for your physical body. And it goes way beyond that. It goes to like your bones, your organs, your mental health, your clarity, anxiety, depression. There's all these things. And I'm not promising these things to you. I'm just saying what I've heard. And I kind of started thinking, like thinking about the Lord, like what sounds more like God? Hey, suffer for suffering's sake to prove that you love me? Or hey, do this thing in secret. Trust me. Trust me beyond what you feel. And I will reward you for your good, for my glory. Or hey, I'm going to help you be at your best so I can help us be at our best. That's what I felt like God was telling me. Josh, I'm gonna help you get to your best so that you and I can be at our best together. And it's totally changing how I'm understanding fasting. I'm not saying there won't be suffering. Some of y'all would sugar detox and that headache and that fatigue is real, all right? It's not fun. I'm not telling, fasting's amazing. You'll love every second of it. I promise you, you won't. But it is changing my perspective. I started thinking about Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. Praying and fasting. You know what I thought about in that moment? How awful that was. But now I'm understanding it differently. At least for 20 of those days, Jesus was prime Jesus. That dude was full-on detoxed, clear-minded, laser-focused. Like, know this. When Jesus was in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, one, he literally did that for 40 days and 40 nights, and two, for a lot of that time, he was at his physical peak. His focus on his father had never been clearer. I'm so confident in that, the more I'm learning about what fasting is. So I just wanted to encourage us as we think about fasting. Man, it comes with real physical side effects. I hate every one of them. The fatigue, the dizziness, the headache, all the stuff as our body is detoxing from the things we're used to being self-indulgent about. But in our minds, I hope I've encouraged you, don't think about fasting as just suffering for suffering's sake to somehow prove your loyalty to the Lord. Trust that within fasting, there is a gift for you. Not just your spiritual life, but your physical body. Does that make sense? Okay, are we okay? Was that heavy? Are you encouraged? I can't read y'all at all. Um, preface number two. I want to talk about the burden of being a super Christian. In a month like this one specifically, as we pray and fast for a month, and I'm talking about letting the presence of God come in your home, I feel like I'm reaching in and touching every aspect of your life your phone, your dinner, your bedroom. You're like, dude, calm down. 
like lay off. And if we're not careful, I feel like we have this tendency to adapt the pharisaical spirit. We get this by our works. Man, I'm so sorry if it's felt like that, but I don't think it should have because I've tried to explain this is about relationship. We're not trying to churn out Christian robots who go, oh, can't watch Netflix, not Christian. Like, not want you to be that way. By all means, watch Netflix, eat food, play video games, whatever you're doing, I don't know. Do those things. The purpose of this season is to go, as you do it, welcome the presence of God into every second of it. Man, God loves you. He is with you. You have no greater support than the presence of God. So do what you do in freedom. It's going, God, I want you to be in it, all of it. And now as you invite God into it, the it might shift because he might show you that the it that you're into is maybe not worth your time and not helping you flourish. That might happen. No promises there. God's not one to keep his hands off. But please know this whole series and the, and the fasting is always about relationship with the Father. It is not a place of being a Christian robot or being a super Christian. So if, you're, if you tend to be like type A or feel burdened by all the stuff we're talking about, take it easy. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows you. He loves you. Okay, number three. Walking is winning. That's the pace of this month. It's a nice walk. I was reminded of Psalm 23. The good shepherd leads us beside still waters, lays us in green pastures. I don't know about you, but when I picture Jesus leading me beside still waters, I don't picture a panicked Jesus or a frantic Jesus or a Jesus is like, hey, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I picture a Jesus that knows how to take me step by step. And so as we continue to embark on this series, I just want to encourage you not to feel condemned by comparison, by where you wish you were, but instead lean into that good shepherd that knows how to give you your next step. The word is a lamp unto our feet. And when I think about a lamp unto my feet, I think about only being able to see the next four or five steps at a time. And that's the pace of this series. So anyway, maybe you're not feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're all like, dude, chill out. We're ready. Good deal. But if you are, trust the posture of this series, relationship with Jesus, one step at a time. Okay. You guys ready? Still can't. Still can't read you. Need the salt. <laughs> all right. All right. Today's conversation, if you're taking notes, prayer and worship in the home. Prayer and worship in the home. As I thought about this conversation, I, I thought about the generations before us. And it's, it's not uncommon for me to hear stories of parents or grandparents breaking cycles that have been going on for a long time. Whether alcoholism or physical abuse, sexual abuse, drug addiction, emotional neglect, like some of us, maybe our parents handed that to us and we're going to be the cycle breakers. But some of us, our parents were the ones that did that. That was sort of my story. My parents broke these cycles of alcoholism and abuse and emotional neglect. And, and I grew up knowing that I was loved. We prayed before dinner. We went to church. I believed that God loved me. My parents were emotionally available to me, which I know is a real gift. That's not all of our stories. And it's this real gift when you go, oh, my parents helped break a cycle, right? Like they helped stop something. They didn't hand it to me. They, they, they removed it. Or I'm going to be the one that breaks the cycle, and I'm not going to hand it to my kids. And it started kind of having me wonder, what's my generation going to do? Especially like in the family. Like, what's future me? Like, what's the standard going to be for my kids? How are my kids going to remember me? And, and I just want you to picture your kids, as weird as that is. We, not all of us are even going to have kids, but just picture like you do. Picture them when they're like 25 years old. How are they going to talk about the environment in your home? How are they going to remember you as mom and dad? And I was just taken to this, like, kind of in my imagination, like, I want my 25-year-old daughter to say, I remember praying in the living room with mom and dad. I remember, like, waiting upon the Lord anticipating his presence. And I remember, obviously, I was 12, so I wasn't that into it. 
But every so often, I swear the presence of God would show up as we just sit there anticipating the presence of the Lord. Or I remember my mom and dad making dinner in the kitchen, and they would talk about Jesus as if he was actually right there. And you know what? I think he was. I remember my mom and dad getting lost in worship, and for the first 20 minutes, I hated it. I wanted to go play Call of Duty and virtual reality on my hoverboard, because that exists in years from now. And, but instead, like, they would just worship the Lord, and I swear sometimes the presence of God would just fill the living room. And I realized, like, God's stirring this in my heart. Guys, our generation needs to take worship in the home, worship in the family a step further. There's ground to be taken. I feel like there's a connotation to prayer and worship that only belongs in the corporate setting and kind of in your prayer life. I don't agree. I think there is much ground to be taken in your prayer and your worship life in your home. Your prayer and your worship culture. And so I want to ask you this, and I want you to really reflect on it. Picture yourself 30 years from now. Do that right now. Get it. So I'd be, oh my gosh, I'd be 52. (laughs) 62. (laughs) Tanner. I've definitely had some work done on my face at that point. <laughs> Get the wrinkles gone. <laughs> Picture yourself in 30 years, and I just want you to genuinely ask yourself, what do you want your prayer life to look like? I'm trusting you can imagine this as you stare at me, because most of you are. What do you want your worship life to look like? Maybe a better question. What do you hope changes for the better in your prayer life, in your worship life? And today, the conversation is about helping you take your first step toward that life. I don't know about you, but I want my prayer life to grow. I want it to feel easy to just know Jesus is right there with me for real. Like the real Jesus is really sitting with me. And for that just to be automatic. I want my worship in the presence of God to be far more accessible than sitting on the couch and turning on the TV. Because I know that worshiping God frees my soul. It does for me what nothing else can. I want to feel the love of God more in my home than anywhere else. I want to give my love to the Lord more in my home than anywhere else. And that's the conversation today. Now, there's a lot of different angles on prayer and worship, a lot of different ways. In fact, we did a prayer series in the fall of last year for several months. You can look that up on the podcast. But today, we're going to talk about specifically this thing called communion prayer, okay? Communion prayer and worship. And we're going to flesh out what that means a little bit. We're going to look at John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, John 15, 4 through 5, where Jesus is going to use this word, abide. And I don't use that word much when I'm out with my friends watching the game. So another way of using that word would be remain or stay or linger. I love that one. That's the focus of prayer and worship today, is lingering, staying, abiding. John 15, four through five, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you miss out on true life, like a branch that is detached from the vine. All of life, 
flows from the vine. As I was in my teaching meeting on Thursday, um, they taught me about wine, which I know nothing about. So this is probably wrong. I probably didn't even take notes right. But it said that wine is better the longer the grapes are attached to the vine. That the slower it's allowed to grow, the slower those grapes remain attached to the vine, the more unique and complex its profile. I'm assuming that's exactly why Jesus gave us this literal metaphor. That if you rush it, it lacks substance. Let's dig into what it looks like to abide in Christ. Luke 6, 12 says, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and he spent the whole night praying to God. Can we be honest? Does that sound that good? <laughs> hey man, what are you doing? Nothing. Want to go pray all night? No. Do you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what's he doing? I don't got that many prayer requests. Like print out all the names in the state of Tennessee in alphabetical order and just pray through all of them? Gosh, it sounds annoying. It causes you to wonder, Jesus, were you literally just throwing out prayer requests and unspokens that whole time? What was Jesus doing when he prayed all night? But I want to invite us to ponder something. What if Jesus knew something about the gift of existing in the presence of the Lord? When's the last time you just existed in the presence of God, going, I'm in the presence of the Lord, and that's enough? You know, there are so few people that I can sit in a quiet room with without feeling one little tiny bit of pressure to say something. And those people, that short list are people I trust with my life. Because sitting in a room quietly with someone is weird unless you really know them. Do you not agree with that? Even in a waiting room, if it's too quiet, you're like, huh, how about the weather? What you reading? Don't answer. <laughs> uh, I think Leah might be the only person on planet Earth that I can truly just sit there in a quiet room and still feel deeply connected with. And I don't know if you know this, that's available with the Lord. And I actually think it's not just like available, it's a, a feature of your prayer life that is definitely worth exploring. What does it look like to exist in the presence of God? Josh, what do I pray about? Nothing. Gentry told me this week, he said, when I learned I didn't have to talk when I prayed, my prayer life changed. What does that mean? I don't know. Go figure it out and tell me. <laughs> it was Ginger the one that said it. But I think this might be the invitation for us. For the rest of this morning going, Lord, is there something for me to learn in the context of my house to sit in your presence and for that to be enough? And this is going to look really unique for all of us. There's something you need to know about you. God's relationship with you is not like God's relationship with me. So I'm going to try to give you some examples, hopefully, that help you. But if they don't, dude, that's fine. There are things that God has for you and your relationship with him that are only for you. And you'll only figure those out when it's just you and him. In other words, your relationship with God is tailor-made fit for your soul. I want you guys to explore this with me. I think this is incredible. Matthew 6, 5 through 6 says, Jesus is talking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. In other words, they like the best of their spiritual life to be on Sundays in front of everybody else, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, They've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who, is in, who sees in secret will reward you. Church, do not underestimate the potency of that promise. Jesus says there is a reward in prayer that is completely private. You must know this about God for your sake. There are things that will happen between you and God that will never happen between me and God. 
There are things that God is going to do with Johanna that he will never do with me, and it's for the good of both of us. We can live in this like TED Talk era where anything is like a YouTube search away to get the three steps, the alliteration, the, you know, hey, when you pray, rejoice, repent, make a request. Got it, figured out prayer. By the way, that actually, that's not a bad formula, but that's not the point of what I'm saying, all right? There are some things available for you in your prayer life with God that he's gonna have to teach you, and I believe he wants to give you secrets. There's this moment in Matthew 13 where Jesus is teaching about the four soils of the heart. Do you guys remember that teaching? There's four different soils. There's a big crowd there. And he ends his little parable that's kind of confusing with he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what you'll see is only the disciples stick around and even think to ask him, hey, hey, what, what are you talking about like at all? Like, what do you mean? The rest of the crowd left early to go to Chipotle or something. Like, they just left. And you know what happens when the disciples choose to stick around and ask Jesus to explain? Jesus explains it. He explains it, and he says, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, my disciples. The ones that chose to stick around in my presence, to linger, to be curious for long enough, they heard the secrets of heaven. Imagine being at Chipotle, getting a text, hey, he actually explained it, you should have stuck around. Like, ah, ah. ask for double meat, this isn't even double meat. <laughs> I miss the secrets and the meat, you know. <laughs> That's not in my notes. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to wake y'all up. It was the disciples of Christ who were, going, who were sticking around going, Jesus, can you explain? Can you explain? Can you explain? I'm not going anywhere. Help me. I want to understand, Lord. I want to understand. It's still confusing, God. Help me understand. And they stuck around, and it's the heart of God for the disciples that will remain. Stick around. He will reveal secrets to you. I promise you this is true. There are secrets of heaven just for you. Now, to be clear, some stuff just stays confusing, okay? Like a hundred times, Jesus is like, I'm gonna die and resurrect, I'm gonna die and resurrect. And every time, Peter's like, oh, no, you ain't. <laughs> Idiot, you know? And that's just gonna be us sometimes. God's gonna stay mysterious because, you know, he's God. <laughs> Comes with it. But don't get it twisted. If we stick close, he's got secrets. A key ingredient to learning the character of God, to getting the secrets of heaven, is in the waiting it's in the waiting, in your home, choosing to still yourself and wait. A key ingredient that I hate more than anything, just sitting still, getting nothing done, waiting. This is Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. And my right is disregarded by my God. Do you hear that? Do you ever sound like that in your prayer life? That's like a, hey God, where you at, dude? <laughs> okay, you're missing. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, this is like, this waiting is like a waiter at a table. They wait on the Lord going, is there anything, anything you need, anything you want me to hear? It's not like this like, this is anticipatory. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Church, in a world trained to think for two seconds per meme and two days per package, our world needs a host of people that are professionals at waiting on the Lord. And you need to know, this is anti-instinct. You are often in a hurry just because you exist in 2023. And I need you to know this. God is not in a hurry. 
He is waiting for your hurry to evaporate. You are often distracted. God is not distracted. You're often impatient. God is not impatient. You rarely slow down enough to hear yourself think, much less the Lord. But the good news, the God of mercy and grace and patience and kindness and peace is in your home and in your heart. And he is offering you what he already is. He will assist you in the waiting. There's a hard truth around building a culture of prayer and worship in your home. And you know what the hard truth is? Yourself. You're the hard truth. Countless times I sit in my prayer closet, whiteboard, marker ready to write down whatever dreams I have, Bible, notebook, pen, little bath mat for my knees on hardwood. Everything's right, and I'm sitting there in a hurry. Why? Because I exist, and I exist in a hurry. Not late to anything, nowhere to be. Anyone else relate to that? You're like, night before, okay, I'm gonna get in the coffee table, the book, I'm gonna read this chapter. You sit down extra early and you just sit down, you're antsy. And God is teaching me, hey, I got stuff for you, but you gotta slow down. The good shepherd's not in a rush. Don't rush the good shepherd, okay? All right, as we do this, as we try to take on this abiding, waiting spirit, I also need you to know that there's some real unpredictability that will come with this. As you try to grow in your personal prayer and worship life, God has not designed your prayer life to help you feel in control, okay? Prayer is a place where God is in control. So many of us get bored or distracted in our prayer life because we don't have control. And it stinks because God designed it that way. He didn't ask you to come and pray so that you could feel capable in your own strength. That is not the purpose. He is inviting you to experience 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. If you're gonna invest in your prayer life, prepare to feel lost, confused, and weak, and prepare to find the strength in the direction of the Lord. If you choose to stick in it, wait on the Lord. If you want prayer to be a space that always feels predictable and in control, it will let you down. Because Jesus' invitation to walk on water will never make sense to you. God's got stuff that's not gonna make sense. There are things that God's going to reveal to us, call us into, teach us about himself that's only there when we embrace, God, you're in control. I lean not on my own understanding, Lord. My understanding says you've got four minutes. My understanding says you're like this, this, and this. I lean not on that understanding. I'm here to be taught. I'm here to receive. I'm here to be attentive. Let's get specific. Are you guys still with me? All right, good. Love you. Uh, I feel like I'm boring right now. Maybe. You didn't help me feel comforted. (laughs) Put the shades back up. Um, We need the sunshine. Um, All right. Let's talk about environment real quick. Here's a little exercise for you this week, and it's kind of wonky, kind of weird. It's called Speak Life. I'm not even claiming this to be like super scripture-based. Maybe it is, and I just couldn't think of the scripture. So you can ignore this. I say this with humility. But I want to encourage you to speak life over your room, to speak life over your household. Not the kind of like manifesting a Mercedes kind of stuff. I speak life, millions of dollars, millions. (laughs) I'm talking like God out loud, it's weird. It's vulnerable. Maybe you whisper it. God, hey, can you, can you hear me? My roommates, they can't hear me. God, this house belongs to you. Out loud, so you can do two things at once. Say it and 
hear it too. God, this house belongs to you. God, this room is yours. I'm about to hit you with some fire prayers. You ready? You ready? This room is yours. Will you let your presence flow freely in this room? Your presence is allowed to do whatever it wants in this room. It's your room. God, I want to thrive in my walk with you in this room. This is where it happens, God. In the name of Christ, my walk with you is going to go crazy in this room. God, I don't even see this happening yet. I see a computer and a phone, and both of those sound better, but Lord, teach me. God, will you help these four walls remind me of your presence, of your faithfulness? God, will you help my faith to increase tenfold in this room? This is where I'm going to have my greatest spiritual growth, God. I just claim that in the name of Christ. God, in this room, I see temptation coming from a thousand miles away. In this room, I see Satan coming when he hops on the plane in California. That's a weird image. Satan boarding a plane coming to Nashville to visit you. (laughs) God, will you help worshiping you become the most normal part of this room? I want this room to be a place where I feel prone to peace. And I encourage, if you haven't done this, I encourage you, go home today and pray over your bedroom. Pray over your bed. God, the peace of Christ on this bed. God, pure thoughts on this bed. God, a generous spirit on this bed. God, a spirit that prays for my friends and my family on this bed. God, the compassion of Christ on this bed. This is a holy place, God, not a place where Satan's a threat, but where the good shepherd's an invitation. Lord, I speak that. I remember moving into my first house with Leah. We prayed over each and every room, and we never sinned once in that house. I snot on myself as I laughed at my own joke, and the Lord was like, tell him you're kidding, um, or I'm going to make you do that again. No, I sinned, for sure. I really sinned in that house. But I look back, and I swear God was so faithful to us in that house. I don't know if they're correlated. I believe they are. That was a house of prayer, and those prayers were answered in my sin and in my redemption. The Spirit of God, welcome in this house. When we pray out loud like this, I really believe we make it so awkward for Satan. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me. This one time, when I was 16, I was making out with my girlfriend on the couch with the door closed. My dad walked in. It's awful. There is something terrible about just being in the middle of a makeout session when your dad walks in, right? You're just like, no, I was just, yeah, your teeth are, yeah, you're good. Uh, that awkward feeling, I'm swearing to you, When you pray the name of Jesus over temptation, when you pray the name of Jesus over your room, when you make your room a holy place, I swear it's that awkward for the enemy sometimes. I kid you not, there were times of just deep sexual temptation in my life where I prayed out loud, Jesus, I want to be like you. Jesus, I need your power. Jesus, I want your spirit. Jesus, I don't want to do this stuff. And I swear to you, it was that awkward for the enemy, just from the power of praying out loud. Does that make sense? So I encourage you, like, don't underestimate praying holy words over your household. Jesus, over this living room, I pray against my own cynicism that there would ever be a culture of worship in this house. Expand my horizon. Teach me, Lord. Okay. So this week, I want you to focus on prayer and worship in your house. In a few moments, we're going to go to communion, and we're actually going to give you a little handout that's got like five ideas if you don't know where to start, but I would remind you, it's tailor-made stuff. There is way more for you when you explore this personally with Christ. I do just want to say this. I kind of have a pet peeve about worship always being associated with like playing music or singing songs. That is a wonderful way to worship. But if you're like me and don't have any musical gifting whatsoever, worship is just adoring the Lord. Gratitude to God, telling him why he's amazing, telling him why he's holy, sitting down and just looking at different objects around you and going, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, you're amazing. Wow, you're holy. Reflecting on your testimony and just worshiping the Lord. All right, tangent over. If you want any resources... 
What I don't get into at all today is what does it practically look like to try and pray or to try and worship in the house? One, we got that prayer series on the podcast. Two, we have a whole staff that would love to go further into this. If you have questions on what this can look like for you, please come ask. But also just go explore and trust that God will show you the way. Before we go into communion, I want to invite my friend Sam Liu up here. Sam's one of my dear brothers, and we've had a really cool experience, experiences in the past of just like doing this together, of, of getting in a room and literally just praying and worshiping God for a year or two, or a year, a year or two, an hour or two. We're still doing it. We're still doing the thing. Lord, 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 Lord. We're still in the middle of it. Um, but but we, we had a lot of really cool moments together, like really trying to take advantage of just praying and worshiping in the presence of God, just as friends, not a house, church, not anything, just me and him hanging and after that, I heard some really cool things about him and him like kind of continuing that way with his friends. And so I just wanted you to share in two minutes or less, how has like prayer and worship impacted your life in the home? Yeah, I'll try to make this quick. So I feel like every pro- everyone else probably in this room were about like a year ago, this was prayer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fix this, fix this, fix this. Why me, why me, why me? Thank you, done. And I was like, this isn't fun. People tell me I should do this. I don't see any fruit. I don't see any benefit. So I just don't do it that much. Within the past year, for a myriad of reasons, just God has shifted my perspective to, dude, you are, when you pray, the reason I'm not showing up is because it's me, 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 me. And I love you, but my kingdom cannot come into your life and the people around you and give all of its goodness and blessing if it's not you, 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 you. And so I've just been like, okay, I don't know what that looks like. I don't even feel it. But God, you are king over my life. You are savior. You are the one who is lifted up. I want your kingdom. I don't want mine, even if that looks completely different than what I want. And Jesus is never more king than when you look at the cross. And in my, the place where I pray, I have this crown of thorns that one of my friends gave me. And it's made from a tree outside of Jerusalem where Jesus' crown would have been made. And it's just spiky and evil looking and terrible. And every time I look at it, I just think, God... How much did you give for me that I should be part of your kingdom and that it's free and that you're giving it to me? And when God starts to be king in your home and your prayer life, like I know we say that and that's kind of Christianese and it's like, yeah, that's what I should do. But like literally when you abide in him day after day and you just say, God, I don't feel it, but Jesus, you are king, you are king, you are king. Then when you leave that place, you continue to make him king over your life. And hear me when I say this, like this is immensely fun. Like it is brings joy and life and peace. And what I was thinking about when Josh asked me to share something is Isaiah 52. It's this beautiful poem of Israel who are held captive under siege by their enemies. They don't know if their king is lost in battle. They don't know if they're gonna be slaves to another nation. They just know they're oppressed. And this watchman comes running. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who says to your people, your God reigns, your God reigns. So when I go into like law school or life or just my believing friends, my non-believing friends, you have the opportunity to go, hey, your God reigns. Like, I know you don't have a military dictator of your life, but you have sin, you have shame, you have anxiety, you have depression. Don't you want those things to be made new? And everyone in this room would say, yeah, I do, but you can't get it out yourself. You have to come under him and he will take it out for you. And I just want to give a real quick example about how just fun this is, like, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I have a friend in law school. I'm going to call him John. He's not a believer, but I've talked with him about Jesus, and it's so fun. And one day he's like, you know, I grew up. My dad didn't love me. He was abusive physically, verbally, all the whole things, alcoholic. He went to prison when I was 12. My mom, she abandoned me before I was even, you know, right after I was born. One of my friend's family adopted me because they loved me. We went to the courthouse. They changed my last name, and I am now their son. And I just remember looking at John. I go, John, like, I don't have to tell you. You long for the kingdom. You long for adoption. And you've lived it. Like, one day you were not son of Kyle. Now you are son of Kyle because of this document that says you are now adopted into a new family, a new kingdom. And this dude starts, like, crying. And he's like, I want that. Like, I want that, but I don't really know if I believe that. I'm like, dude, it's okay. Take your time. But he has to be king. If he's not king, nothing else makes sense. And I'm kind of talking in circles now, but I know when I say this, I'm even looking at all of you. You're like, yeah, that's good for you because like you lead worship and you have a microphone and like that's what you do. But like 
please know it is immensely fun. And there are people in your lives right now at work, in your family, who are bogged down by sin and shame, and it is holding them captive. And just like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's coming to you saying, I'm bringing something completely new, and it's going to free you. And there's joy and peace available, and it's completely free in each of you in this room that I'm looking at. Rafe, Will, Georgia, Luke, all these people, it's available to you. But you can't do it if you say, I want to do it my way. you got to come, and he's king. So, um, Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, thanks, brother. Thank you, Sam. Sam has found a lot of creative ways of getting in the presence of God on his own and with friends. So if you have questions about what that could look like with your family, with your friends, by yourself, just come ask him with some things that he's tried. Um, for now, um, underneath every other chair on the inside chair, there are these little papers. I'm gonna ask you to grab a stack, take one, pass it down. And for communion... We have a simple prompt, and if you want, you can, take, uh, you can take notes on the back of this paper. Can we go to the next slide? Yep. And I want you just to do something real simple. What is one way that you can embrace prayer and worship in your home? And then what is something practical you can do because remember, last week we talked about what your eyes and ears, what you see, what you hear, all the science behind how that shapes you. What's something practical you can do to give a room an environment of prayer and worship? So what's a change you can make to a room you spend a lot of time in that will just, by it being there in your environment, will encourage you into a posture of prayer and worship, that abiding, that waiting. We'll play some soft music and uh, we'll do this for like three or four minutes. Remember I said last week, this series is all participation. Not a whole lot of good comes from the teaching unless you actually apply it. All right, we're gonna do something that we normally do now. This is happening every week, so it seems normal. Um, I'd love for you to share um, whether you just thought of something that you wanna try, or I, I felt like asking if, you are, if someone in here can testify to like something they've been doing to, to worship the Lord or to be in the presence of God in their home that's really helped them. I would love for us to like benefit each other in testimony. It's not prideful, you're all good. Like I'd love to hear. So will you just share whether you reflected on something you want to share, or if you're already doing something that's been beneficial. I'd love to hear a few ideas. How can you do this? How can you pray and worship in the home? What helps you? Yeah. That's the kind of life hack I'm talking about. That is right in the DNA of the series. So she hit the prayer journal under the pillow. You get all tucked in. You're like, ah, I'm happy about this. You know, uh, that's so good. I love that thinking. That's really good. What else? So good. If you didn't hear me, he said he gets up at, there's a prayer call at 6.30, it's pretty early, gets up at six, and since he's so tired, he doesn't feel like doing anything, it sits, it's perfect for sitting with the Lord, because you don't have to do anything, and so he just kind of sits for 30 minutes and anticipates the prayer call and just kind of like acknowledges the presence of God. It's good. What else? I want to hear a couple more, please, pretty please. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, Tom just shared that um, he, he just did something really simple that had profound change in his prayer life. He just started kneeling when he was gonna pray. So whether by your bed, in your prayer closet, wherever you are, but just hitting your knees. And there's something about, like, there's a reason that a lot of people kneel when they pray across many religions. There's something about focusing when you're on your knees. And so that life hack alone has helped him focus more in his prayer life. It's really good. A couple more and then we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow, awesome. Man, I just started trying to meditate literally this week. Yeah, it's a tough place. It's a tough place. Brain is special. A lot of, stuff, a lot of thoughts, but um, that's awesome. Like training your mind to get focused, helping you focus on the Lord. One more, then we'll, we'll be done. Yeah. Absolutely. So good. Yeah, so she shared um, how you decorate your room, like putting real thought into whether it's artwork, furniture, like whatever, but like going, having kind of like symbols, like they did in the Old Testament in the temple, like a lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism on who God is and going, okay, I'm going to be intentional about what's creating this space. So when you walk in, that's called a cue. Like literally, scientifically, your eye sees it and there's a connotation to what you're seeing. And it just kind of puts you into that mindset, into that framework. I think we're designed to operate that way. It's really, really cool. All right, I love y'all. I feel like y'all were sleepy this morning. Come on, stand up. We're gonna worship, then we're gonna get out of here. Um, uh, You can take communion if you want uh, right now. I forgot about that part. I'm so sorry. Um, You can take it as we worship. I'm gonna pray, um, and then uh, then we'll worship and get out of here. Lord, I love you. Thank you for this church family. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray over our rooms. I pray over our house. God, will you help us to take advantage of the place that is home to the most default us? Will you help us to take advantage of our bedrooms, of our kitchens, of our living rooms, of our households, Lord, and welcome your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.